Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from Western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. The story you're about to witness is about two beautiful sisters who travel seeking to avenge their father. Mara, the older sister, is a dancer. Nara, the younger one, is a fortune teller. The story begins in Monbaraba, a town of song and dance. Mara, you're the best! Yahoo! I love you, Mara! Good performance, Seth. Did you see him? No, I didn't see a cute guy in the audience today either. No, I mean him, our sworn enemy, Balsack. Oh, right. No, I didn't see him either. I say. Don't be so discouraged. If you continue traveling, someday you'll find him. Here, I'll pay you up through today. Thanks for performing for us. You're so popular, I want you to stay longer, but I don't want to interfere with your pursuit of revenge. Rest well tonight and leave in the morning. Have a safe journey. Class is in session, and this week I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the university fellow four-job fiesta friend, the totem summoner guy in our Divinity 2 Original Sin game, and PR lead for the wonderful crew over at the SDGC podcast, and just genuine fine gentlemen. Matt Finman, how's it going? Oh, thanks, Scott. You know what? It's going great, buddy. Uh, because as a longtime RPG fan, uh, something you might know a little bit about, coming up with a game that meant a lot to me mm-hmm. that hadn't already been covered, I thought it was going to be a lot harder. But the game we're talking about today is uh, not only wasn't my first RPG, yeah. but back on the NES, there weren't too terribly many, but it, it was quickly my favorite and still to this day holds uh, one of the top five RPGs of all time spots in my heart. It is very, very good. Yes, we are here to talk about Dragon Quest Four today and to give you an idea of what you might have also been playing when this released. Let's take a look back. Now, this initially released in Japan on February 11th, 1990, and would have on the Super, or excuse me, on the Famicom, and would eventually make its way over to the North on October of 1992. Japan would then see a PlayStation re-release that never saw light over in the West on November 22nd, 2001. The Nintendo DS got a full-blown remake, uh, both in the West and in Japan, and finally in Europe. It released the DS remake released on November 22nd, 2007. North America would see this port on September 16th of 2008, with Europe receiving it on September 12th, 2008. This game would also see a Android and iOS port of the DS version releasing in Japan on April 17th, 2014, and the rest of the world on August 7th, 2014. Now, to get your mind back in the headspace of what you might have also been playing in 1992, Here are some games. 
Super Mario Kart released, Wolfenstein 3D, Kirby's Dreamland on the Game Boy, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Contra 3, Alien Wars, Mega Man 5, Night Trap, Ultimate Underworld, uh, Lunar, Lunar, The Silver Star, and Lethal Weapon. I was like, Ultimate Underworld? I don't remember that, and I typed that up. <laughs> I, I, I don't, you, you know, reading that list, it's wild to me because it's it was so it's so easy to forget how much crossover there was between the before the NES ended and the mm-hmm. Super Nintendo really just took the reins. Like the yeah. NES was knocking out games for a while. Like it's weird to think about that that Super Mario Kart and Contra Three were coming out at the same time as Dragon Warrior Five, uh, Four, and Mega Man Five. Oh, I know it's kind of crazy. And it was Ultima Underworld. That's what it was. But my Autocorrect sent it to Ultimate, so it was okay, that Ultima makes more Ultimate sense. Underworld. Yes, yes, it does. Um, but yeah, like Sega CD was out. Mega Man was still cramming away with NES games. I mean, this was one of the first years, very early Wait, days. Sega CD was out. Do you mean Sega Genesis? No, Sega CD. Really? Night Trap released in 1992, October that 15th, is 1992. Wild to me. You're right. 91, it came out for some reason. I picture, yeah. you know what? Never mind. Go off. Night Trap released the same year as Mega Man 5 and Dragon mm, Quest 4. Absolutely weird. Or Dragon Warrior 4 in the States. Excuse me. Yeah. Kind of nutty. Kind of nutty. So, Finn, kind of give us uh, an idea. When did you first get into Dragon Quest 4 or Dragon Warrior 4? And, or, like, what drew you to it? Okay, so, <clears throat> uh, I played it when... The Dragon Quest franchise was obviously still called Dragon Warrior. Yep. Um, and I got into it because so one of my best friends in grade school and I, we both had an NES and he was the only other person. I you got to remember early 90s. It was still supremely not cool to admit that if you played video games, especially oh, yeah. if you played RPGs, like you weren't even playing the cool Mario stuff. So we had played and this was like pre Dragon Ball Z and stuff. I don't even know if Dragon Ball had I I'm it had sure not. there was we didn't get Dragon Ball until late nineties in America, really. I feel like there might have been some like really crummy direct to VHS releases of Dragon Ball. You know what? Strong possibility, but I mean in terms of and it, when it wasn't we saw the, it, it, it wasn't, wasn't until ninety six. It was like, uh, I just looked it up. September mm-hmm. 1996 was when it started airing in America. Okay. So, yeah, this was a time when all of this was very unknown. And we had played together the original Dragon Warrior. Mm-hmm. We didn't play two and three. Because, again, when you're kids and you only get like two games a year. Oh, yeah. And I, I didn't. I played one. And then we played Final Fantasy. And then Dragon Warrior 4 came. Mm-hmm. And and you have to understand, like, Final Fantasy is the king of the genre, but comparatively, because, you know, it's NES on NES, we never got Final Fantasy 2 and 3, so all we had was Final Fantasy 1 versus Dragon Warrior 4 was, like, the true clash of titans oh, of yeah. the RPG genre, and Dragon Warrior 4 just trounced Final Fantasy 1 in every conceivable way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a revelation how the big jump like it was sprawling. It was epic. It had more dedication to plot and character development than we were ever used to in previous games. I don't know how much your listeners or you know about like the original Dragon Warrior one, but it's pretty bare bones in terms of plot. 
Oh yeah. And Final Fantasy One barely gets. I mean, yeah, it's some plot, but not what you're used to in an mm-hmm. RPG. And Dragon Warrior Four felt like an SNES RPG, like the proto SNES RPG, like when yeah. the focus of story started to really take hold. Mm-hmm. And so we we would spend weekend after weekend sleeping over at each other's houses bringing our dragon warrior four cart and i mean we had the old strategy guide that you could get from nintendo power yeah buddy and it was a beast and we would pour over the maps and the little diagrams and the charts about what the monsters were and what Mm. the item treasure i mean we were just having a blast and even with maps and knowing where to go like it, it posed a significant challenge for young chill, the young Matthew. Oh, yeah. But oh, Dragon Warrior 4, man, it just brings back some super splendid memories. And it is definitively the reason that RPGs, specifically JRPGs, are to this day still my favorite genre. It all dials back to Dragon Warrior 4. Final Fantasy 1 and Dragon Warrior 1 led me to want to try Dragon Warrior 4. But it's mm-hmm. Dragon Warrior 4 that is the reason I love RPGs the same way you do. Yeah. Um, I remember growing up, my older brother, we had the original Dragon Warrior. Um, because back in those days, like to try and gain popularity in the West, they they offered a free copy of Dragon Warrior if you signed up for Nintendo Power. I remember that, and that's why we had it. But I mean, in nineteen in 92, I was like four and I really didn't get into RPGs until closer to 10 in early teens because I was horrible at math or not math, but reading. Um, I would <laughs> very I, different I'm, things. Right. I'm still not very good at math, but reading I, I very much enjoy now. But like I had like a reading tutor and I did hooked on phonics. So I did a lot of those things. So while I legit my first memory I ever recall is involves dragon warrior the original one so we didn't have any of the uh, later ones we didn't have two three four or five on nes so my first experience with dragon uh, warrior dragon quest 4 wouldn't come until the ds remake years and years later so that's where but up until then like i had gone back i had played the original dragon warrior and things like that so it wasn't my first foray into it especially with the the game boy color ports or uh, remakes of one through three now i do want to point out that i i want to specifically talk about the nes version because the ds dragon quest four chapters of the chosen is by all intents and purposes the much better improved version yeah like the quality of life improvements alone but you know there's something about you know how in dragon quest games they really lean heavily into giving each region their own strong uh accent and dialect yeah that didn't happen in the nas version and i think it kind of simplifies it and makes it a little more just uh new f- user friendly mm-hmm. because For sure. so every now and then i don't want to try and uh uh decipher a cockney accent when i just yeah. want to know where the cave is right but, uh th- so that's something that happened with the ds remakes but my memory stems solely from the nes version oh yeah and i would i've gone back and played i haven't beaten the original nes versions but like emulation um but i have played uh touched on them just because i want that original experience but but no this the the one of the things that's always struck me especially with 
Dragon Quest Four was the chapter system. I, yes. What was kind of your opinion or what's your thought on the whole level up, go through, get to know characters, level them up, learn skills, start over again. Do okay, that see, again, start over. Absolutely like what, loved it. You have yeah. to like it had never been done before. Yeah. I think it's something so cool that you, you this game starts like many other NES games mm-hmm. of that era where there's like name your hero. And so you do. You're like, I'm gonna name him Matt. And then the game starts and it goes chapter one. And then you're like, you play as the knight Ragnar, and you're like, that's not what I name a character uh, at all. Why am I, why am I an old dude and, wearing pink armor? What? It's it was so unique at the time. And again, compared to some, its contemporary of like Final Fantasy One, it, it allowed for such an expansive world building where mm-hmm. each of the first four chapters focuses on a different region, different characters, and you play through what you think their story is, but they all end on like more or less cliffhangers. Yeah. And then you get to chapter five and all the previous chapters had like constantly hinted at this uh, like child of legend that's born in some far off land. Mm-hmm. And and then in chapter five, you play as that child and boom, there is your character that you named. And then chapter five is almost like the first four chapters, the first like 50 hours of the mm-hmm. game were prologue. Because yeah. chapter five is the length of almost the entire four chapters ahead of it combined. And then you do this thing that it had never really happened in an RPG before. You're getting the band together. It's one of those classic like, all right, we now know all the players. How do they all fit together? You're starting to. So when you run into these characters that you just previously spent so much time with, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, my God, it's a Princess Alina. And you're like. It's such a cool thing. And, you, and then you find out time has gone by since their chapter ended and you their their story was happening concurrently. Mm-hmm. And when you get the whole party together, it felt it felt it was an, a feeling of accomplishment that no other RPG to that point had been managed to uh, convey. Yeah, and it was just so cool. Like, I thought that chapter system was absolutely visionary mm-hmm. and is a big part of why it resonated so much with me. Yeah. And kind of touching on your point that it was a first to do it and how much more refined it was over like earlier final, like the original final fantasy and the original dragon warrior and even like dragon warrior two and stuff. It's the splitting up of the chapters and letting you uh, experience all these different viewpoints does such a good job in making you fall in love and enriching each of your party members characters they aren't just cleric named x or warrior named ragnar stuff like that right it 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 invests you in this world and what's going on and then being able to get everyone together is like holy crap this is so cool and that's the thing like like you have the archetypes that you're used to from previous dragon quest games or final fantasy like Mm -hmm. you have the knight you have the 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 cleric you have the mage and but they instead of just blank slates that you build from scratch they are their own characters Mm -hmm. and that is why i call this like a proto super nintendo rpg because it was one of the first games to really focus on the character and build them up through like story development rather than pick a class and just level up and make your character stronger yeah i mean coming from dragon quest 3 which was much more open you created your party you it was a job system so it was much more uh 
open-ended in that regard, going back to a very uh, rigid, these are your characters, these are the, what they're good at, deal with within the constraints, it reminded me a lot of a similar jump from like Final Fantasy 3 to Final Fantasy 4. Yes. In, in that style, but... Um, what uh, I have to say, the one thing with Dragon Quest, and I think it still remains true to this day with like Dragon Quest Eleven, is the eclectic party members you get, <laughs> and how they, while they might have the guy that swings a sword good or casts magic well, things like that. There's always characters that defy expectation and your assumptions on what a JRPG party should be composed of. Like in this one, perfect example, Tornico. Uh, uh, pushes up glasses. I believe you mean Taloon. Is that what you, that was his yeah. NES translation name? Taloon, excuse me. Yeah, it Taloon. That's right. Uh, actually, his it's Tornico Taloon. So it was he just yeah. went by his last name. Yeah, so. Tornico was. Uh, I never knew that until the DS remake. I was like, who the yeah. fuck is? Oh, uh, um, who the heck is Tornico? Yeah, but yeah, the sorry, the I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, I I appreciate being called out. Um, but no, like you get a, this old overweight shopkeeper as one of your main party members. And it's like, yeah, yeah. brilliant. And a big part of his per, uh, chapter three, which is his chapter is running your own um, item store, like weapon store. An idea that wouldn't be revisited to my knowledge until that indie game like Reseteer, mm-hmm. where you, you're the focus is more on running your own shop. Like you could literally until you leave your first village, you can continuously restart the day and have people visit your shop and amass a fortune that then progressively makes the rest of your journey in that chapter easier because you have a ton of gold. Yeah. It's such a cool concept. And his his plot is pretty basic. Like He just wants to be the best weapons uh, shop in the world. So he goes on quests around the world to find rare weapons to sell to other adventurers. It's pretty neat. Like you never would, you never get that kind of stuff before that. Yeah, and in a series of games where money is so important be, to buy the newest items and stuff, having an ability to make so much money and like as almost its own mini game, also it just adds to how big of a jump in mechanics and tech. Uh, tech involved and just depth that Dragon Quest 4 had. Yeah, absolutely wild. Um, so who was kind of your favorite? I know we talked about Taloon. Uh, what are some of the other characters that really stood out to you? So speaking straight from uh, growing up, like for me, it, uh, utility in, in battle was almost mm-hmm. as important as how cool their characters were. Right. But on both accounts, Princess Alina oh, so um, good. is the best. She could dual quip claws mm-hmm. and her attack stat was so incredible that she would just ravage entire enemies solo. And, and here's where the quality of life in the remakes steps up because... You know, we dealt with it as a kid because we didn't know any better. But in Chapter 5, you only get direct control over the hero. Mm-hmm. And all of the other characters are set to AI. You have no, you can set, like, guidelines with tactics. Mm-hmm. But 
there's nothing to stop your uh, your mage from constantly casting sleep on an enemy that can't <laughs> that is immune to that status effect. And I remember being so frustrated, especially in boss fights. But Alina, I mean, she can only attack. So that was part of why I loved her. She's like, mm-hmm. you're not going to mess around and waste a turn. You're just going to rip into these fools. But her, also her character was really cool because it played on conventions where she was the princess. But instead of being someone you had to rescue, she was a tomboy badass who then mm-hmm. became like the party's strongest attacker. Yeah. Like I, I she really punches down a story. wall, like a she stone sure wall to like escape and just like yeah. peace out dad. I'm gonna go because, do, uh, do stuff. Exactly. Because in chapter two, her dad's like, you can't go out and adventure. And you're a princess. And he boards up <laughs> you in your room. And then you freaking bash down your wall and escape. And uh, I just, I dig it. I dig her a lot. Uh, also a big fan of Ragnar mm-hmm. because he's just a, a, a knight. And he was awesome. And then Mara because she was a, a um, dancer, but she was also the, the black mage of the party. Her sister mm-hmm. ended up being the white mage, but she was just death on we on on two feet yeah alina was i loved alina but then i loved uh her uh followers basically her wards that followed her around yeah um you had the guard i can't remember i i forgive me i've forgotten his name but you have the guard who acted as kind of like the healer that was the reluctant guard following her and making sure she was okay and then her uh wizard uh tutor um, yeah, uh, Bray and uh, Christo. Yeah, but no, just the interaction between the three of them, I I thought was hilarious and and loved. It was a good time. Also, shout out, shout out to uh, the follower characters. Like you can get kind of like NPCs to follow you. Mm-hmm. And in chapter one, you can find one of the slimes called Healy, and he's just a slime that wants to be human, and he joins Ragnar. And because Ragnar had no healing magic at the time, so that was the way the game would give you a way to heal yourself in dungeons. Mm-hmm. But it was just something I, I used to love Healy so much. I wanted to name my first pet Healy. I didn't realize how simple and dumbly punish the name was. It's the slime that heals you. So we're going to call him Healy. But I was like, oh, that's a great name. I, I, wonder, if, I wonder if in Japan, in Japan, like his name was the Japanese equivalent to Healy. Yeah. No idea. I don't know. His Japanese name is a uh, Homan. I don't know. But yeah. Oh. What else you got? Um, no, I loved. Um, one of the things that I, going back and playing, I appreciated was in this extends to pretty much all of the Dragon Quest. I love how with Dragon Quest games, you kind of know what you're going to get outside of like the story. You know, you're going to get a very solid turn-based traditional rpg that knows what it does and does it well yeah it doesn't try to go crazy like it'll change things up like it the three had job system and things but it it never takes itself too seriously and i think that's what i appreciate most about these games this series also uh i don't Again, because I don't remember too much of two and three, but I think four is the first game in the franchise that introduced the casino, which was such a big deal because mm-hmm. you could like get some really broken items if you were lucky enough. And it also had this huge side quest where you would find these mini medals that you could then exchange for super rare items. And man, I mean, this was the first game. I mean, they weren't like straight up a side quest, but it sort of felt that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, man so good yeah 
So I'm curious, like when when someone says Dragon Quest Four, like what do you in what does your mind instantly go to? Like what is Dragon Quest Four to you? The chapter system. Chapter system. Yeah, uh, but beyond that, uh, the the wagon. Mm-hmm. Again, another like super cool mechanic that you just did not ever expect based on previous games in the genre. It was so cool. Like your cast was so big this time after you get all five chapters, you're getting um, eight characters and you can only get four at at a time. So the other four travel in your wagon. And if you die, if your party gets white, the other four literally jump out of the wagon and continue the battle for you. Mm. And it was the first time you had like party management, like just be, you're not using these people, but you might want to switch your party up every now and then, because if you get like, if you die, then you don't want the remaining four to be super under leveled. So it also, I mean, increase the length of time if you wanted to make sure everyone was well trained up and good to go. But it was such a cool, unique thing. Like, name a game before that that had that kind of mechanic like it really rewarded mm-hmm. you for having this vast cast of characters yeah and i hadn't realized um but i guess a majority like a significant portion of the game entire game's memory was actually dedicated to like the artificial intelligence that controls your party members during the fifth chapter like i guess that was a very big uh resource intensive aspect that they added to this game Oh, I bet. I mean, because every character had its own built-in AI because you couldn't Mm -hmm. control them, which is a weird thing to me. Like, why wouldn't you just let you control them? But I guess from a story perspective, you took control of the main characters of each chapter, and in Chapter 5, it's the hero. So... So this... How how spoilery can we get in these things? As as spoilery as we want. I just really like the reveal because, again, I don't Mm -hmm. feel like this really happened often that the hero is actually part of like the angel race. Mm -hmm. And you had this this lofty backstory and this there's a reason you were the child of destiny and stuff like that. And like, again, it was it's all stuff that's cliche and like a trope now. But in 92, it certainly wasn't. Yeah, it was it was brand new and fresh. It was awesome. Now, I'm curious, back in the original NES release. Did they mention, like, was it known as the Zenethia? Like, was that a thing yes. back in that one? That okay. was the name of them, yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was, like, a new translation or something for the DS remake. Um, no, there was a... Or if they did an Erdrick Lodo-like situation. There there were several, uh, like, name chant changes, but the Zenithians were the, uh, like... I remember thinking that it was such a cool-sounding thing, like, mm. Zenithian. Because you had the you had special equipment that could only be wielded by the the um the hero. Yeah. Also, shout out to this game. This is gonna a weird tangent, but Dragon Quest or uh, Dragon Warrior Four helped me on so many vocabulary tests in school. <laughs> oh yeah. Because it was an RPG thing, so you had like oh, cool ass yeah. names for stuff. Like I'll never the one that always sticks out to me is the Ag- Aegis Shield or the Aegis A E G I S. Aegis, yeah, the Aegis. Yeah, shield. And, yep. and that's 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 how I realized that that meant wind, because when you use the shield as a, as an item, it casts a wind spell. Hmm. Interesting. I did not know that. And so, um, when I had a, like a vocabulary test, I was like, "Huh, neat." 
That is really neat. I don't know. Just just things like that, like like certain items and spells and stuff. Like they just had they weren't words I was used to, but I mm-hmm. learned them through context clues, and then I would learn learn about them in school and be like, I already know what that is. I played that in a video game. Get on my level, nerds rule. It's like suck on that. People that told me video <laughs> games wouldn't give me anything of value. Mom. Exactly. Ugh. <laughs> uh, just real quick. Shout out to this game's naming structure for spells. Oh, yeah. It's so wacky. It, it really is. And, you know, it's so weird because at the time you didn't think it was wacky mm-hmm. because, uh, like, Final Fantasy hadn't standardized yeah. it yet. And so much of it was abbreviated to, like, four letters. So it was fur and thun and <laughs> random like, abbreviated things. I, I love their their goofy-ass spells. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And the monster designs are fantastic. I mean, this was like we had mentioned earlier, this was pre the Dragon Ball craze in the US. So we didn't know who Akira Toriyama was. Nope. So we just had these incredibly colorful, interesting yeah. looking creatures. And that was another thing that put it above something like Final Fantasy because the sprites, mm-hmm. because of the way the battle system was where it's like, yeah, POV style. They were much larger and much more detailed and expressive. And you're like, wow, look at the like these are especially the boss monsters. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness, the amount of detail that went into them. Absolutely wild. So, so cool. So how many times would you say you've like gone through this game, you think? <sighs> 10 to 15 total. Nice. Uh, maybe like and then one more. I only played the DS version once. So maybe one mm-hmm. more time added to that. Let's just re- average it out at 15. I like it. I like it. I wish I'm jealous that you had the original card. Um, do you still have it? I hope. Oh, of course I do. Yeah. OK, well, that's good. So was I'm trying to remember, you said the first game was your first Dragon Quest and then you had skipped over two and three, correct? Correct. OK, so I'm guessing Dragon Quest four is your like top your your favorite Dragon Quest then. Yes, it time. still remains there with uh with uh, eight and 11 and five rounding out the top four right off the top of my head. Very nice. Very nice. Now, did you have five? Would, did you end up getting five then also for NES when it came out? No, five. I only played on the DS after the fact. OK. Uh, another aspect that this game and really all the Dragon Quest have uh, going for it is the soundtrack. Yeah, this game has a pretty damn good soundtrack. It really does. And and I didn't this was before again when at that age I was uh, unaware that like certain songs were franchise staples, kind of like mm-hmm. the Final Fantasy, like uh, prologue theme or something like that. Like Dragon Warrior and Dragon Quest games had their own series of games that are mm-hmm. uh, songs that are unique to the franchise. And so I remember playing Dragon Quest eight, which I think, I mean, for most people in America, that was our next, well, seven, but eight was the first next big foray into the franchise. Mm-hmm. And I remember being immediately hit by nostalgia and be like, Oh, dip. I remember that song. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, like the overworld map is just so kind of cheery and, uh marches you along the battle music is fantastic and even like on the nes like so catchy yes and memorable 
you know, no one gives enough credit to the NES's chiptune music. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is the one that gave us, it is the first system that gave us all the Meg- best Mega Man games. So it's true. I don't know. Maybe, maybe give show some respect. I agree. I agree. But yeah, good call on the music. That That's another state, a uh, really strong point in it. Oh, hands down. But we are not the only ones that absolutely love Dragon Quest Four, So we are going around the web. First up, we have user Ribum from Reddit. They say, for me, it's without a doubt all of Taloon's chapter. From being this non-heroic merchant stuck behind the counter of an item shop to spending the rest of the chapter doing what he can to acquire money, basically a goofy JRPG take on Capitalism Simulator. All the monster dropping tons of fairly valuable items regularly. The casino, want party members to make combat easier, go hire some mercenaries. It was a nice change of pace. Dragon Quest IV is probably my second favorite Dragon Quest after Eleven, as I've always enjoyed when the, the small handful of games use the chapter system for their storytelling. This part of Dragon Quest IV definitely stood out. Gotta agree with you, Ribbon. Yep. Um, it's a great one, and another lover of the chapter system, and how it fleshes out the world and the characters that you have in your party. Want to take the next one? Sure. Uh, oh, nice name. Uh, user XD Melchior from Reddit. Going in blind as a kid, there were so many cool surprises. I remember entering my name for the main character and being completely confused when my character was Ragnar. Hey! Shout out. We mentioned that. I completely forgot in the first four chapters, but the game would allude to a hero that has been born in a distant village. Then at the prologue for chapter five, the character with my name was introduced as that hero. So cool. I agree. I also remember the first time I had a party wipe. Oh, this person's me, basically. (laughs) Remember the first time I had a party wipe in Chapter 5. I was about to just ready to reach for the power button and be done for the day when the rest of my party jumped out of the wagon to save the day. It was amazing. I still wonder why can't modern games, Cough Cough Persona 5, do this? Oh, and one last thing. In Chapter 4, you have three level 10 plus characters roaming around. Then you encounter a group of slimes. But this will be easy, right? But then the slimes keep calling for reinforcements over and over and eventually transform into a king slime. What? You know what? Shout out. That is a really cool moment, too. Mm-hmm. You, you just don't expect a, a simple random encounter to have like a, a, a transformation mechanic. Yeah. Dropping the, the Voltron on you. Uh, and he and the king slime's always so cute. I love how bulbous they are with their cute little crowns. It's just fantastic. Shout out to the whole slime family and how yeah. heavily Dragon Warrior has just leaned into it and accepted it. Yeah. Like, I wish Final Fantasy has that for, you know, pl- like, cute critters like uh, mm-hmm. Chocobos Moogles. and Moogles. But yeah. they don't really have, like, that defining monster, except maybe, I guess, Tomberry. But I digress. Or Cactars. Oh, Cactar. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Cactars are big, too. Next up, we have user Rogue Penguin from Reddit. They say, when Princess Alina kicked a hole in the wall and escaped, I fell in love with the game right there. I love that trio. Another one is the chapter of the twins. Back then, I was so worried that a cleric and a mage would be miserable. But that chapter taught me that a cleric can stand in as a fighter, and being a mage sometimes meaning going all out with your MP. Can I can I do a quick like side of note? Of course. The reason I chose that scene to start off with, even though there were like other cool scenes in the game, was uh because I loved how the the vast shift in tone out of nowhere 
you play you, you start the chapter off with like you're dancing and then suddenly your boss goes hey, i'm gonna pay you so you can go act out your revenge and then the first person you talk to is hey good luck on your quest for vengeance and i'm like yep. damn these are some bloodthirsty like people out here and they're totally okay with these two like teenage girls going out into the wide world to hunt down the person that murdered their father and again mm-hmm not really something you saw in games like this was a straight up revenge plot that you were dropped into the middle of you weren't there during yeah. the part that they want revenge you just know you need to hunt someone down and, and i just that, that's why i chose that scene i i honestly thought you had chosen it because they mentioned ball sack which i mean nintendo who good, uh, yeah right who love who doesn't love a good ball sack uh, revenge tale exactly Iconic is what it is. Iconic indeed. All right. Uh, user Etherbert, pretty much from Reddit, pretty much the entire Taloon chapter. Back when the game first came out on the NES, I don't think there was a game that did anything like it, letting the player work at it and eventually run your own item store. You barely had to do it either, but just having the option put the plus the general focus on money making over dealing with Sorrow's minions made the chapter very memorable to me, and it's always been a highlight on future playthroughs. Yeah, Taloon is a popular character, and I mean, that's why he got his own spinoff game later on the PlayStation. So that is true. A well-beloved character. He would eventually also go on to join in uh, Dragon Quest Warriors, bashing people with his abacus staff. Always a good time. (laughs) That was his ultimate weapon. Yeah, it's a good ultimate weapon. Math will uh, give anybody a good headache if you smack him over the head with it. Next up, we have user UT Flyers Card Jazz. Everything about the game is fucking awesome, at least before post-game, and I played both the NES and TS version. I want to wait on mobile because I truly believe that we'll get Party Chat Dragon Quest IV in the future. The post-game isn't bad, it just could be better. But I rate this game highly. Great characters, especially my favorite character in Alina, and another top favorite in character in Sorrow. The highlights are absolutely you the highlights are absolutely that you don't start the game off playing chapter one as a hero or heroine. Mother Three also had this concept, but that is also one of my favorite games of all time. I wish more games could do this. You know what? Uh, I don't have as much familiarity with the post game system because that was only in the DS remakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember it being like cool. At least for someone that was such a strong, I was like, oh, finally something new. It was kind of like when you played Chrono Trigger DS. Yeah. And they added those extra scenes that tied into Chrono Trigger uh, Cross. Mm-hmm. That, that's what it felt like to me, even though it didn't tie into anything, but it was still cool. True. True. Um, let's see. I'll handle the last one. Or I would. Yeah. If my mouse didn't die. Oh, no. Well, Jimmy, why don't you read it, unfortunately, sure. while I plug my mouse in? <laughs> no problem. User CG Green or C Green 117 from Reddit, they say, My best friend growing up had the original on NES. We played through it together with his older brother for years. When one would get tired of grinding, another would carry the torch and grind some more. This went on for years until we maxed everyone out in stats and equipment from the casino. Sadly, It was a cartridge battery that would eventually give up after 25 years of faithful service. The older brother took his own life about a month ago. This game will always have a special place in my heart with the memories and discussions and strategies we all shared together. I'm very sorry for your friend's loss and your loss, but um, I'm glad that 
you, you'll always have these memories. Yes. And, um, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Good times. I mean, not uh, that, but just the, everyone sharing their stories. It's nice yeah. to know I'm not the only one with fond memories of the game. Oh, yeah. Um, and I remember, and this goes back to just the the era that was the NES and Super Nintendo going to a friend's house and sitting that just passing off the controller to each, each other and playing these single player games and, and grinding with friends and stuff like that. It's um, it's it's an age that I miss. I miss the being able to just go and sit next to a friend and play games on the couch a lot, even before COVID. But um, yeah, it's just a special experience being able to share games like this with with your friends growing up. So but thank you to everyone who shared your favorite memories and moments from Dragon Quest four with us today. I very much appreciate it. And as always, down in the show notes, you'll find links to all the subreddits where you can share your own favorite memories or moments and I can't wait to read them. Now, after hearing Finn and I talk about this game, gushing on it and everyone else that submitted, you might be wondering where you can get yourself a copy of Dragon Quest IV. Well, we're here to help you with that as well. Unfortunately, with the physical version, it's pricey, if you want it in English anyway. The Famicom version loose is only about eight bucks with a complete inbox copy going for about twelve fifty and a new price. If you can find it charting at about fifty six fifty two. Now that's for the Famicom version. Now, if you want the um, English version on NES loose cart, you're looking at one hundred and sixty eight dollars complete at three hundred. And if you can find a brand new copy, you're looking at over a thousand dollars. So, yeah. Ouch. And the, the book, the strategy guide, can go up to like $200 on its own. Yeah, very pricey. Very, very pricey. And then you have the DS version. That's also pretty expensive as well. Dragon Quest IV, Chapters of the Chosen. A loose cartridge on the DS will run you 70 bucks. Complete in box will be cost you about 100 And a brand new copy of it will be $200. Uh, and that's that's for the DS version. Um, so very expensive as well. But if you really, really want to play, you can pick up the mobile ports on either the Android store or the app store for iPhones. They are pretty much just ports of the DS version and they will run you $15. So not too bad. Wouldn't be my go to. But if you want, you can play it on the go and it's still a good game just to play. So I suggest you play it regardless of however you decide to. Can I make one more note? Of course. Um, I didn't get to talk about uh, the final boss and how cool it was because when you fight Necrosaro, mm -hmm. it was one of the first times that a boss transforms and has multiple stages throughout a, a battle. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously now we expect it, but back then you fought this started with this gold monster holding two swords and then as you damage him he would lose one arm then a second arm then you take out his head but then his torso transforms turns green and as the battle progresses it grows arms and wings and becomes even more fierce and, and like <laughs> deadly and it was just such a cool thing like every time you thought the battle was over the game's like jk we got more and you're like wow like what 
Uh, I don't know what's going on. I've used all my magic. So please help me. Cool. Yeah. Now let's say you've gotten your copy of Dragon Quest Four or Dragon Warrior Four, and you might need some advice. Well, we're here to help you with that too. So, Finn, what tips or advice would you give to brand new players? Uh, just understand that this game is a product of its time and something that was necessary back in those days to extend game life is you're going to have to do a lot of uh, grinding. Like, I don't want to say they're unfair difficulty spikes, but if you're used to more modern RPGs where you can just kind of you don't have to grind unless you do are doing optional content, that's not going to fly. Uh, so just kind of roll with it and also understand that all of its story beats now are, you know, tropes. But when it came out, they were revolutionary and brand new at the time. So just, uh, you know, understand that you're playing a game from a very specific period of time and, mm. and understand that. But other than that, actual gameplay tips, just um, know that once you find the area where metal slimes are, grind them, baby. Get that XP. There you go. And playing off of his uh, of your exp- uh, tip, excuse me, tongue tied. Um, really, most of your problems, really any of your problems can be solved in this game, with exception of if you're lost, can be solved by just grinding. So if you find a good spot to grind, grind some levels. If you have an issue with a boss, grind some levels, grind some money, get better gear, raise your stats, try it again. You will progress. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I think the basic rule of thumb is if once you grind enough gold to buy the newest items of each town, you're pretty set because between that and uh, the items you'll find in the upcoming dungeon, uh, it pretty much means that you're good to go. That's yep. always been like my goal point. Once I could grind enough money, that usually meant I also had grinded enough XP that I was prepared. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. We are now on to one of my favorite parts of each episode, the Monster of the Week. So, Finn, what enemy have you brought to the Coliseum this week? I had two because I'm a cheater. I had King Slime as regular enemy, but Necrosaro the final boss because his design was super dope for a bonus item. But like we mentioned earlier, the King Slime is just so happy and silly looking. And then when he completely stomps you, you're like, oh, wasn't expecting that. It's true. It's true. And to avoid spoilers in terms of the stats and whatnot of the final boss, well, I'll give you the stats for King Slime. Plus, so cute. He is just adorable with his cute little crown. The King Slime deserves it. The King Slime has 150 health, 2 MP. He has an attack of 40 with a defense of 24. He's a bit on a slower slide, slower side with an agility of 17. He'll net you 100 experience, drop 150 gold, and you might have a chance for him to drop the Yidrasil Leaf, which is one of the few ways you can revive players outside of chapels. He has the spell Snub, and you can find him in the uh, in Chapter 4 at the Palais de Lyon, Havre Lyon, and Mamon, and in Chapter 5, the Aldwell. So watch out for the King Slime. They'll sneak up on you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that is going to do it for this week's episode of RPG University. Sorry, it's a slightly shorter one. Uh, Finn has to get to setting me on fire in our weekly 
uh, Divinity 2 uh, game with some other previous guests at RPG University. But thank you so much for hanging out with me, Finn. This was so much fun. You know what? Absolutely my pleasure. You are one of my favorite people on the internet. And I... You know, there's just so few people that really appreciate the genre like I do, and you are one of them. And so being able to talk shop with you, so to speak, has been just the best. Well, right back at you. You are one of the nicest people I know. uh, And I'm so glad that I've had a chance to get to know you and chat with you. And I look forward to the next pack, safe packs, that I can give you a hug and uh, catch up in person. And we'll definitely have you on for another episode soon. Oh, thank um, you. Because no, this is a blast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. But where can people find you online? What do you have cooking? Go ahead and plug away. You know what? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Nola Nerdcast, N-O-L-A-N-E-R-D-C-A-S-T. Um, I'm the PR guy for the official SDGC podcast. Um, we're on every Thursday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern. I also do freelance PR and marketing for the video game industry. I used to work full time, but then I moved because, you know, uh, what's that thing? Love? I don't know. It's it's a wild Aww. thing. So now I just do it on the side and it's just really fun. I love the industry. I love uh, the people I've met in it, um, especially this guy, Scott. I don't know. He does something called RPG University. You I haven't heard it about it, but it seems cool. You know what? They are. Pre- it's pretty cool. You should give it a look. But uh, I mean, mostly if you just like really bad puns and and talking video games, uh, hit me up on Twitter because I love talking to people. It helps keep me sane during the day. You know it. And uh, yeah, I like setting Scott on fire on accident during Divinity Original Sin too. So or heal me to death. So it's or going to be a fun time. It's not my fault. You chose undead. It, it, that's true. That's true. What do you, granted, this is a bit off. What do you think our chances are that we'll actually get out of the tutorial zone tonight? If not this week, next week. Excellent. We are Just close. For, we are. I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited. Just because um, I know we have to make sure we do as many battles as possible because this first, the final mm-hmm. boss of chapter one is so hard before you have enough time to really bulk up your characters. Yeah. Uh, so we need to grind a lot. But you know what? We're RPG fans. Grinding is in our blood. It's true. It gives us life. But but yes, thank you once again, Finn, for joining. It was so much fun. And thank you to each and every one of you who's listened today. Be sure to rate and review us on your preferred podcast service, as I'd really appreciate it. If you have an RPG you'd like us to feature on an episode, tweet at IrrationalPod with the hashtag RPGU with your suggestion, or you can share your own favorite RPGs directly with me on Twitter at SolidSnake120. As always... Stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. Class dismissed.